I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, regular listeners. You may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello. And welcome to Honey and Coat. This is our special smoke series to celebrate the third anniversary of our grill house Honey and Smoke. I'm Sarit. I'm Itamal. So we're going to do things a little bit differently this week. We're going to go into our kitchen and honey and smoke and put some things on the grill before we meet our guest. Our guest is uh, Gil Miller, who is a chef that we just adore. We love his writing, we love his recipes, and it's been such a privilege to have him with us, cook his food, talk to him. We are going to cook lamb chops with you guys now. We serve it with a spiced plum sort of relish type situation. So it's kind of sweet, sour, spicy, very autumnal. Yeah, one of our favorite dishes here and a big favorite with our Customers. guests here. Yeah. But we do have to say you have to eat it without a knife and fork. It's yeah. the best way. Shall we go and cook? Yeah, let's go to the kitchen and cook. Our lamb chops are cut into singles. We marinate them with rosemary, sage, olive oil, salt, and pepper. And we just let them sit. And then it goes on a really, really hot grill. And really quickly, because you, you just want to get as much color on the outside and stay pink on the inside. I don't mind if it's a little bit, you know, almost medium. I prefer it, you know, I think fatty cuts of meat needs to be cooked a little bit longer. I don't like it that it's rare. The main thing is to get the outside nice, crispy and charred. You just want to go, depending on the size, but a minute or two on each side. Just let it get as much color as it can on the outside and stay pink inside. I have like so many memories of fire as a kid, mostly because my dad's a bit of a pyromaniac and we had a pit, an actual pit, a sand pit in the back garden where every... Saturday, which is the day off there, he would just pick up all the kind of bush trimmings and anything that he could burn and just start this like crazy fire and play with it with his pitchfork. <laughs> it's quite crazy. And we were just satanic like... Satanic image. Yeah, satanic image of my dad playing with fire. But And we would just sit around, either sit with him and watch him do it or throw some potatoes in or throw some onions in. Yeah, but I, I do remember we have a bonfire night in Israel. For us, it's kind of late spring that we all 
go out and have fires and you throw potatoes in the fire. We don't throw them. We thro- we thread them on a big wire thing and you have like a kind of this chain of potatoes. You throw the wire into the fire and then you keep the end of the wire somewhere visible. So after about an hour, you just pull that wire out and this kind of chain of charred, blackened potatoes and then you pick one up as soon as you can which is not very quickly because they are burning hot they're super hot (laughs) then you crack this potato and it's all steaming and kind of yellowy flesh just a bit of salt and probably quite a bit of sand (laughs) (laughs) I think for most Israeli children this would be you know everyone would know that flavor of the burned bonfire night potatoes yeah the other thing we're going to add quickly to the grill is just a couple of uh, plums, just to grill them, because we're going to serve this with like a spicy, sharp plum sauce, and just cut them open, take out the seed, and then face down next to the chops. A couple of fresh ones grilled, and the really rich sauce, all delicious together. Our guest this week is Gil Mella. We've been admiring Gil Miller since his first book came out, I think three years ago. That book, Gather, I think was such a game changer. It was, there's so nothing beautiful. like it. It's stunningly beautiful. It's so well written. You know, it's, it's a book of poetry, really. You want to grab them uh, from the grill and just put them somewhere warm just to rest for a couple of minutes. This is true to most meats that you cook. All the juices kind of settle a bit, become super delicious. There's something about Gil's food which is local. It's from here. And it's kind of a vision of what the food of this island can be. Oh, it, It's not pretentious it's not in forced, any kind of yeah. way. And it's like every, every time you read Gil's recipe, you just go through the ingredients or something and you just say... Yeah, it just makes so much sense. You know it's going to be delicious, but you haven't thought about it before. So a bit of this um, kind of spicy, rich plum sauce. And these are red plums cooked down with uh, chilies and garlic and star anise and a bit of orange juice, tiny bit of vinegar to pop the flavors. Yeah, you want it to be quite sharp because the plums are quite sweet in themselves. It's like a chutney, in essence, but runnier so it can kind of really a bit of it goes with every bite that you have of the chops a bit of lettuce leaves we're kind of using a bit of lamb's lettuce nothing too do you want to grab the chops yeah and add the plums oh delicious let's get out of the kitchen get out of everyone's way so we can eat at leisure Mm. so juicy I think Gil would love this because First of all, we cook lamb for his feast as well, but also just the natural flavors using plums that are so autumnal and the the new, you know, this beautiful lamb. It's organic. It, I think it's everything that he would connect to quite well. So we're going to continue our meal here. Please go ahead, listen to the talk. Hope you enjoy it as much as we did making them. Something's going on. So we are extremely excited to have with us Gilmela. Please help us. Greet him here with a big round of applause. So, you grew up in Dorset. What's your earliest memory of, of cooking over fire? I was really interested in fire as a kid. Uh, and my my <laughs> mum and dad... Your family Safe loved hobby. that. Yeah, they, they did call me a pyromaniac. I don't know if that was quite true, but I definitely liked making little fires and seeing what was possible, uh, whether... I could melt this or 
or catch this on fire or burn <laughs> What this. will happen if this goes on the fire? Um, one thing I used to make quite regularly was uh, nettle soup, essentially, but it was just rainwater and handfuls of nettles that I'd boil up for a few hours and it would never really be anything you could go on to eat. Um, <laughs> no, no one has tried. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily my kind of culinary exploration at that point. It was more just what can be set over a fire. But then a little bit later, me and my friend climbed up into this tree into the, where the, uh, the limbs meet the trunk and there was this little hollow and we, we actually got a little campfire going in this tree. And before we climbed up, we picked some mushrooms from uh, the base of the tree. So we were probably this time of year. We still don't know what variety of mushrooms these were. <laughs> so to be honest, they could have been completely deadly. Anyway, we put a stick in, in the mushrooms and just toasted them over the flames of this, this little fire in a tree. And uh, it was one of the most delicious things I've, that you I've ever eaten. And then eaten. everything became, like, super colourful. And then yes, I can tell you. And then the more uh, people came. I was, alive, I was alive the next day, so it was a bit of a relief. But that, I do remember that, that smokiness that these mushrooms had. Did you ever set anything on fire that you shouldn't have set on fire? Probably. I mean, we used, I was quite a naughty kid when I was that age. And we used to... Um, sneak petrol out of the the garage and you know there was one episode where the petrol can tipped over there was flames coming out we I, th- I remember running off uh, we were in the middle of a, a football pitch but the can never exploded uh, we were saved once again I'm only asking because my brother in the treehouse when we did the same kind of thing back home we would cook like Turkish coffee as kids. I don't know why we were drinking Turkish coffee as kids, so but we were. <laughs> I know it's weird, but in the treehouse, <laughs> and he set the treehouse on on fire, and I was in it, and I was maybe five or six. Well, that's yeah. yeah that's that was dangerous. the only time he got punished, but I was fine. But maybe this is where your my pyromania comes. Yeah, from. yeah? your pyromania. pyromania. Also, incidentally, like of all the chefs and people who end up in food, no one ever says, "Yeah, I was a really good kid. I was not <laughs> naughty. I was really good at school." They just. No, not, it seems to be a, a running yeah. theme. Yeah. Even though you were quite a good kid. Yeah. Anyway. Not a good adult. We digress. We digress. But I want to go back to those, those mushrooms on the fire and cooking mm-hmm. on the fire. So is this, you know, kind of your, your hobby became your job or your passion became Yeah, not job? really. You, you I mean, started that, quite early. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, no earlier than a lot of chefs, I think. But I was 11. My sister already had a job in a pub. They gave me a, a trial shift. It was, it was only three hours long and I had to wash a huge amount of spinach and then do all <laughs> the washing up as well. I finished my shift and the guy said, here's your pay. It's three pounds, one, <laughs> one pound an hour. Oh my God. Um, and I just thought, crikey, this isn't worth it at all. Uh, and then I t- didn't work for another three, four years or something. <laughs> Um, but yeah, because we lived in the country, I worked in village pubs and the chefs were quite good and the sort of guys you'd almost look up to, you know. And I might have got the bug there, but I was not planning to be a chef at all until necessity kind of made that happen. Uh, I was just studying art and photography and art history <laughs> at college. Life took yeah. you in a bit of a different course then. Yeah, yeah. So, but I'd always be interested in food, so it, it kind of... When it happened, it, it felt, felt natural in a way. 
so you you joined the River Cottage team at some stage and quite a bit of time spent working there. Yeah, yeah. And fire is quite a big part of cooking there as well, isn't it? Like Oh, for sure. It always has been. Uh, it was brilliant opportunity for me as a, as a young chef to to meet Hugh and, and get this job. Um, that was in 2004. And I'm still doing bits and bobs with them. But since the very beginning, open fire cooking had kind of weaved its way through. Felt very much part of the kind of principle and ethic of, of that river cottage approach to food. Getting back to the land, simplifying things, relying on, you know, simple cookery treating the ingredients with respect and fire kind of came hand in hand with that this was a time before it was popular you know yeah. in, in in the restaurant scene yeah i mean it's only really just come back in kind of the last five six years into the restaurant scene in a yeah, big I'd way say so. yeah. yeah yeah that can only be a good thing from the chef's point of view an utter joy to cook like that and for the diner they get to eat maybe flavours and textures that they they don't get to eat regularly, because yeah. you know, it's not so much you cook at home like that. Yeah. One of the things we were talking about, sorry that I'm interrupting yeah. you, but which we didn't know last week, we couldn't come to a conclusion whether environmentally it's better going back to cooking on fire versus cooking... Um, yeah, well, it's a good question. Yes. I don't know. I mean, if you're conscious where your fuel is coming from, uh, perhaps you could cook in a, in a kind of carbon neutral way it could be done i don't i don't know the science and, and exact thinking on it it's really actually one one of the most interesting things that, we, that we've started thinking about in this series is is this something that that we need to look into and definitely we do so mm-hmm. that so we are you know in the longer scheme of things it's not a fad you know cooking on fire is how we cooked for centuries and centuries yeah. and centuries you know since the beginning of cookery of course really this flavor of you know kind of meat on smoke vegetables on smoke it's a very distinct flavor and you know i think now all of us that we we have our clean energy and our our clean kind of cooking maybe it's something that we miss or a flavor that we miss or a flavor profile that we miss or something we forgot and enjoy being reminded of i think that's true for me and for the people that come on the open fire cookery course that we teach at River Cottage. It's all about kind of escapism, this idea that we can break out of our day-to-day lives, do something that is very primitive and primal and very rewarding. It's not just about that thing you put, put in your mouth at the end. It's about the whole process. It's kind of de-stressing. It's yeah. mindful and it's... Uh, it's also very sensory. Sensuous, I can't say the word Sen- now. Sensory. Sensory, because yeah. you're, yeah, you're yeah. smelling as well as feeling a heat and oh, something. You know, I think that Absolutely. Whole... That's one of the things that I think makes it really stand out from modern-day conventional cooking is how it just totally awakens all your senses. Uh, we have become slightly desensitised. Cooking can be very easy. Sometimes, for some people, it's as simple as taking the lid off a ready meal and putting it in the in the microwave and waiting for the yeah. the bell to ring you, you're not using your eyes and smelling and listening and feeling and if we're talking about that tell us about a few of the kind of a few methods because you cook in quite a lot of different methods on fire 
tell us a few yeah, of Yeah, well, this, this course that we run at River Cottage, um, basically people come down in the morning, they spend a day cooking over fire in all sorts of different ways, and they go home at the end of the session very full, they've eaten a lot, but also enthused by new techniques and new approaches to cooking over wood and charcoal. Everything from cooking in the ground, that kind of typical earth oven style cooking, made famous by uh, the Maori people of New Zealand, their their famous hangy uh, earth ovens. We cook in clay, we cook, we now fish to planks and, and cook fish in that Scandinavian way. What is that? What's this? It's a way of cooking uh, whole fish or fish fillets. You basically fix the the fish to a, a wooden plank and you set that wooden plank into the into the embers of the fire. Usually it needs to be kind of downwind, so the heat that's rising up gets blown or drifts over the fish along with the smoke and it kind of smoke roasts the fish over maybe an hour or so. Oh, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a very traditional way of preparing and cooking fish over there, but um, you know, it's really exciting and it's visual and they can... It's a lot of theatre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the great things about not only cooking over fire, but fire in its own right. It's, it draws us in, you know, it's incredibly visual. Uh, we all want to be near it, we want to be around it. You know, group together. That's that's the primal instinct that yeah. we all still. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One of the things we're cooking for lunch are kind of onions wrapped in clay. Which we, d- we didn't know if we were going to put it on the menu even because we weren't sure if it's gonna how it's going to come out. But it's, <laughs> so far it's looking good. Yeah, yeah, well, I had a peek and they look... They, they look, look pretty, pretty good, good to me. Yeah, these, um, it's from like our pottery clay, and we were yeah. like, really? <laughs> yeah, anyway. So one of these techniques that we show people is is wrapping food in clay, and I think it, 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 it's a very ancient way of protecting quite delicate food from the, the intense heat of a fire. 
And as I understand, the, the Native American Indians were very good at, at this and they, they kind of practised it. It's, I suppose, a precursor to earthenware and terracotta pots, you know, a time before grills and pots and pans and any kind of cooking vessel, uh, clay was used to, to wrap food in. What it does is create this barrier, of course, between the harsh heat, uh, but it also creates a very steamy atmosphere inside and the food cooks quite evenly. It's a very kind of gentle way of, of cooking something. So I've done venison loin, roll out a sheet of clay on the table and then I, I put lots of hay Loped oh, some hay from the field, you yeah. know, around where I was and where the venison was grazing, and put the venison on top, and then cover it in more hay and, and then more clay, and it goes into the into the embers of the fire. And uh, of course, it hardens up at the end of it. You take it out and you crack this clay and lift it out, and you've got your your lovely, still moist uh, meat because all that flavour and moisture has been has been kept in. And it works in the same way with fish, actually almost better with fish because that, that does respond to uh, that careful approach and, yeah, and not drying I, up. I love that kind of mental image of you just like walking in a field and grabbing some hay and grabbing some dirt, and just clubbing <laughs> some deer in there, like, <laughs> wrapping it and running, lighting your fire. This is, this is my vision of yeah. you. Yeah. Well, the- <laughs> We laugh, but that, I mean, that is exactly how things would have been done, <laughs> you know, thousands of years ago. Yeah. yeah. And that's why we like it now, because we're so far removed from that way of life. When we dig the pit and we cook these lamb shoulders, people think it's completely mad to take an expensive piece of meat and bury it in the ground. <laughs> we, we were just in uh, Egypt, and they do oh, the really? same... Was it Jordan? Yeah, yeah, it was Jordan, wasn't it? Where they also bury, it's called zao, but they bury like lots of vegetables and meat and oh, they yeah. bury that as well. And a few hours later it all comes out and it's all like beautiful and kind of smoky and delicious. But this is actually, like, like you say, it's actually an extremely, you know, efficient way of cooking something because you mm. don't need a tremendous amount of fuel. Exactly. You don't need to build anything. You... I explain it as very much like our modern day ovens. This pit in the ground is the same. Is the, the principle is exactly the same. You've got your your box, uh, which is your hole in the ground, uh, super insulated because earth holds the heat. You know, it's a very insulative material. When we do it, we use fire bricks. We heat them up and pop them in with the food, and then you cover it up, just like you would close your oven door. Away you go. You kind of leave yeah. it there. Our kind of modern ways of cooking, they just give us a lot more assurance. We know what the temperature is. We know that we can open the door and check. Yeah. But it's not essentially different at all. You no, know? it's, it's, it's just these kind of little crutches that we get. Yeah, but yeah. the actual act is the same completely. The idea behind this course that I've been teaching is just to give people that confidence and dispel the illusion that cooking over fire is difficult or you know it's always going to go wrong or things are going to erupt in flames the worst thing that can ever happen really is that you char something too much or it's underdone but you know in the grander scheme of things that's yeah. not that's not the end of the world yeah i mean this is something that occurred to me when i f- was first looking at your book and even yesterday you have a 
a beautiful little recipe that I didn't cook for you guys today, but I beseech you all to cook it. And I'm going to cook it for me. It's not cook it even. It's the little apple salad uh, with uh, plums, with green gauges, that this is the last week for them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And tarragon. tarragon. Yeah. And Gil writes beautifully about what happens to how delicious apples become when you pour a lot of lemon on it. And how yes, so true. It's such a special flavor. And I never thought about it, but it is yeah. such a unique thing. Yeah, yeah. They become almost like um, floral. Yeah. Like, almost like rose water or something. Yeah, just something completely magic happens. And then it's just like one line that you write, yeah, don't worry about the pips, you can eat them. Which, of course, you can eat them. Like, why <laughs> would you not eat them, you know? But yeah, it is... We're never really hungry as people. Yeah. You know, we've always got enough food, so... Yeah. We don't eat the core of apple. Let's talk about wrapping things in newspaper. How does yeah. that work? Like, why doesn't it burn? What, what's the... Oh, right. So there's this technique uh, where you... It works really well with fish. So say you've got a few mackerel, lovely fish. When it's fresh, it's one of the best. You can cook it by wrapping it in damp newspaper and chucking it directly in the embers of the fire. So you take your broadsheet, three or four sheets, soak it in water, take your fish, lay your newspaper out... And you roll up the, the fish in the newspaper, maybe with some herbs and lemon, and chuck it in the fire. And because the newspaper's wet, it doesn't catch on fire for 20, 30 minutes, or however long it takes. But by that time, the fish is cooked. So if it does catch on fire, it's a fairly indica good indication that, ready, that, it's yeah. that it's ready to go. Yeah. But yes, in the same way I was talking about cooking in clay, it, it, it's, it's steaming inside... It's using uh, newspaper, which otherwise might just have no use. It's kind of cool. It is. It's, it's great. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. And actually, it does, because the paper is quite porous and it does burn, so that gives you quite a lot of smoke, which is de delicious with, <laughs> with fish, especially with the... The sun. Yeah. No, that, yeah. It that was doesn't a joke. need. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm the sun it. newspaper. Yeah. Particularly flavorsome. Ah, okay. <laughs> we we always uh, we we it's did that for our staff party once, and we wrapped a big salmon, and we got the Financial Times. All right. We thought it's such a nice. <laughs> it's uh, a funny touch to burn. Color combo. Yeah. Also, also because got we wrote for it, and yeah. we thought it was funny. Anyway, um, what's the biggest animal you've cooked on a fire? It would be a, a big pig. What's um, different yeah. about roasting like a whole... You need to let go of this idea that you can get every muscle perfectly cooked. If you're cooking a whole lamb, you're not going to get your loins where the chops are all lovely and pink. and Everything's done with one uh, goal in mind, you know, just to have something really delicious. Everything's smoky and salty and rich and... A lot of that kind of fuss that takes place in, in the kitchen at home is not necessary. Forget it. Yeah, forget it. You're talking about just tearing off chunks of well-cooked meat. and It's, again, like all of this open-fire cooking, it's kind of primal. And the first time I did it at River Cottage, we trussed up this venison carcass on a, uh, a spit. And venison can be quite difficult to cook. It's lean and it dries out but when you put it in a fire over a fire you know you, you and you're cooking the whole thing you've got to be quite careful it's not like pork or lamb no. Uh, no and although it's a rustic approach you you don't necessarily want the meat to be really dry so we 
we were barding it up with pork fat and laying the skin of, of pork over certain areas. Towards the end, we got this combination of this amazing moist venison and then uh, pork crackling on oh, top. Oh, nice. Um, which <laughs> kind of pretty good combo. Yeah. It, was, it was great eye-opening experience. You could always have a go with something smaller. Yeah. You don't Maybe a rabbit. To. You yes. have a great recipe for a rabbit, a cam, uh, rabbit stew there's on a, a campfire. Yeah, there's a recipe in the little outdoor cooking handbook. For no other reason than rabbit's one of my favourite meats to eat. We should all be eating a little bit more wild meat if we can, as opposed to um, intensively farmed meat. Rabbit is so delicious. It's so ethical. It's... It's led a life, a completely natural life, no contact with man, something we should eat a huge amount more of because there's a lot of them, lot of them and they're culled, you know, and the, and the meat might often be wasted, but it makes the most fantastic stew. And if you're cooking that stew outside over a fire, then so much the better because you, you know, what's better than cooking a wild animal out in, in the wild? <laughs> yeah, it's the best yeah. way, isn't it? Let's talk about what we're cooking today. So we, I will just describe our morning to you, and just so you get a glimpse into what we were up to. This morning, I was uh, smoking lamb shoulders over the grill, and then we finished them in the oven with some lentil and some little bit of spice. And that's going to be like a little dal. We're going to serve that for you later. I had a bunch of uh, clay with me. Or as as Tony, who works with me in the kitchen, said, "Why you bring mud to our kitchen?" It's <laughs> <laughs> like working so hard to keep this kitchen clean. So I I brought a bag of mud and I wrapped onions, chucked them in the ashes, and then put lots of uh, hot coals on them. So this is something that we're going to serve later, just with some salt and olive oil. We have been grilling cabbages. And that's something really special happens to cabbage on the grill, I find. It has like a little mustardy flavor almost. And that comes out, which is really, really nice. And we're going to serve it with uh, caraway seeds and garlic butter, which is Great something combo. that you think so... Yeah. It's, and this is what, what I, I was saying to Gil earlier. And what, what I love about Gil's food is that it's these very simple combinations that you think are obvious and you think... Oh, yeah, you know that it's going to work. Why didn't I think about it? But you didn't. He did. <laughs> this is why what I love. And, and we made some cheese. We made some uh, fresh curd cheese that we're going to serve with the herbs and chili. And so it made beautiful bread for us with uh, smoky bacon and herbs. And we did make this cake that really, Gil, like when I, when I first, I, I remember that like when I first saw this cake, I said, I know how delicious it's going to be. It's a honey cake with uh, coriander, with spelt flour. And it's just as good as you think it is. It so, is very good. Yeah. It yeah. Is, and it is and they good. look great. So not, not fresh green coriander, the, the seed. It's almost like orange. It yeah. is a very like citrusy. citrusy, yeah. There's two types of coriander seeds. You, you know you get the big ones. Mm -hmm. yeah. You get those small, the really small, ones, yeah. little ones. But then they're the best. Mm. Sweet and crunchy and beautiful, beautiful cake. I know that we always say it, but it was a real struggle choosing what you cook because we no. did. We wanted to cook the It was the, the hardest thing. We had like... In the <laughs> paper and we wanted to cook the rabbit. And we did, we did wanted to do this apple salad, but 
we beg you. There's a, a, a sculpture shop nearby, like an art supply shop, where you can get some clay and you can wrap your no, onions with fish. Just go and wrap anything in clay. Yeah, I, want yeah. To, I want to try and, you know, yeah, wrap, wrap a chicken. I'm going to put it in our uh, wood fire, you know, at home. Yeah, no, there's so many <laughs> delicious things in, the, in these books. We do beseech you to go and cook them for yourself, but this is what we've done for you guys mm -hmm. this afternoon. Well, it's time for us to get the charcoal fired up and get cooking for your lunch. Uh, please join me in thanking Gil Mella for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our short series celebrating Honey and Smoke and its third birthday. It's been so exciting for us. We're so grateful for everyone that came to celebrate with us, not just with these three parties, but all through these three years. We got so much support and so much love. It's just been the most incredible ride. And the most delicious one. Yeah, for us anyway. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>